that you would speak to us today. We come to this place and we ask that we would have an encounter with you and that you would be clear. We would have a moment. Speak to us clearly. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. amen. We are glad you're here. We have an amazing day planned. We have some baptisms. And before that, you get a rousing sermon. Yeah. Now, 8.30 was on today, so uh, 10 o'clock, it looks like it's up to you to bring us home. So today we're talking about Acts 19. You know, we're working through the book of Acts, and and, in this book of Acts 19, Paul is walking around preaching and proclaiming and doing miracles, and he gets to this place called Ephesus, and the people of Ephesus, um, there was a lot of idolatry and idol worship there. They were very, quote, spiritual people, and there's a lot of different faiths and there was a kind of a melting pot, and they loved all of them. And so we have Paul walking around preaching to the people of Ephesus. And in Acts 19, we're going to pick up, I think you guys can follow with me on the screen as I read along. And I want to read just some of what's going on and what's happening as Paul's doing this. Paul went around preaching for two years. All the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of God. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that he touched, that touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and evil spirits left them. So we have something happen. I've added this in here because, man, God is just consistently blowing our boxes up for how he should act and how what he should do. And here we have something, I don't understand it, to where uh, God's spirit is moving in such a way that even the, the handkerchiefs this guy has is, are healing people. Now, as strange as that is, we see it happening with Jesus as well the lady who had so much faith in him she said if I can only touch his cloak and so she touched his cloak and she was healed and and I've asked Charlie to bring a handkerchief this morning so if any of you after service would need prayer for healing Charlie's handkerchiefs are right here I don't know if God still does that. I'm sure God can do whatever he wants. And I'm just, I want to highlight that here God's doing something powerful in and around Paul that we don't understand. And, and my prayer is that he would continue to do those things. And so while he's doing these powerful things, demons are being cast out, people with illnesses are being like legit healings, people that you know from town who are, are crippled or who have this or who have that through the power of Jesus, were made whole. And so people are noticing this. They're seeing this, and we, which is why it leads us to the next part. And there were some Jews there who went around driving out evil spirits. So we have roving um, exorcists. It's this group of people that went around uh, exercising demons. And so they, were, they would walk around, and they invoked the name of Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. Now the word invoked there, it doesn't say that they're praying it. They're invoking it like it's some sort of spell. We have these people going around invoking the name of Jesus, and they were saying, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Now this is like saying, in the name of Jesus, who Paul knows, not me, but Paul, I command you to come out. There's nothing personal here for them. In the name of Jesus, who Paul preaches, not who I preach, not who I proclaim, who Paul preaches, come out. So we have these people who see the power of God. They're seeing the power of Jesus. It's happening around them, and they say, oh, I want that. I'm going to use that name. So they go and start casting out demons and, and all these things using that very same name. So let's see how this goes for them. The next verse says this. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. Now, seven sons of Sceva, this is a group, and especially the chief priest there, I want to tell you who he is, because we see the term Jewish chief priest, and we think, well, this is a guy who's, a, who's an Old Testament priest, but he's not. He's not lifted, listed in the, in, the, in the lineage of priests that we have, he's, and especially this, there would not be uh, a chief priest 
chief priest of Judaism in Ephesus away from the temple in Jerusalem. So he's not, a, he's not a priest of Judaism. He's not a priest of the Old Testament and he's not a priest of the New Testament because there are none. So this seven sons of Sceva group and this chief priest they have, this is a, a, kind of a shaman, a guru, a holy man. He's a pagan guy. He's a chief priest in something that he is proclaiming. He's not a chief priest in the ways of Jesus or the ways of God. And so we have this man, the seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest in his pagan religion, and they were going around exercising not exercising, working out demons. They were telling the demons to be gone, just to clarify, in case you were wondering why. Yes, then. So, I never thought of that before. It says, the man who had an evil spirit. So they go and they tell this man, in the name of Jesus, who Paul preaches, we have heard him preach, come out. This man, he looks at him and says, I know Jesus I know and Paul I know, but I don't know you. I'm sure that was a pretty tense moment in that room. I know Jesus, I know Paul, I don't know you. Oh. And what happens next, it says this. Uh, then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all and gave them such a beating, they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. So whatever they invoked there, whatever they were hoping would happen, they, the demons like, this legit evil spirit goes, I know Jesus, I know Paul, I don't know you. This is not gonna go well for you guys. And then he, he starches them, he mollywops them, and then, and then he, they, they run out and everybody sees this. Everybody goes, whoa, something happened here. Now what did happen? We have the seven sons of Sceva. They weren't Jesus followers. They're witnesses of God's power and they try to use the name. They add the name of Jesus to a spiritual tool belt that they're collecting of all these different beliefs and faiths. They add the name of Jesus to that. The only one problem is this, is that the one true divine God of the universe isn't interested in being a tool in somebody's spiritual tool belt. You don't just invoke the name of Jesus like a magic word to get things. He's not involved in that. He's not an add-on. God does not want to be your one of many. He wants to be your one and only. And so we have Sceva, who's going around playing this spiritual game. He goes out with this new powerful name of Jesus that he's seen have great um, effect, and he drops it in the showdown with real spiritual powers. And guess what? The spiritual being that he confronts makes it crystal clear that to be a pagan shaman and just wave the name of Jesus does nothing for you. And the, and the outcome is very obvious. See, we learn a lot about the spiritual world and the spiritual warfare by, by power and authority. And we see here in, through, in the word of God, whatever your beliefs on demons would be and those kind of things, when Jesus confronts somebody who's afflicted in that way or a Jesus follower does, there's a showdown and there's freedom. There's freedom. And here we have Sceva, he, he pulls out his Jesus card, he plays the Jesus card, and the spiritual being he plays it to isn't playing any games and teaches him that. Paganism, in the end, leads away from God's grace, away from God's love, and it, it leads away from the light of the one true God. So we see here in this section that Jesus is not just some magical word that we invoke to pass a test or when we're in need or in pass an inspection or to have, we have this big thing, oh Jesus, now I need you. So it's not just this add-on of, of invoking Jesus' name. Sceva did not know Jesus. He just saw Jesus' followers had insight and power he didn't have and he wanted it. Sceva is doing here is probably what a number, is probably the number one thing that people do. In our culture, what, that's, what Sceva is doing is what is so vastly commas, com common. That we dabble, we believe in whatever spiritual practices we like and that feel good to us. 
and we add a little Jesus in there too. It's the way our culture goes, that, that I like a little bit of this, and I like a little bit of that, and I like a little bit of this, and I like a little bit of Jesus there to spice it up, or however that would go. Skiva is doing this. Skiva didn't give his life to Jesus. He just gave Jesus a try. Skiva doesn't love Jesus. He loves what Jesus can do for him. Skiva has no intention of following Jesus. He just adds on Jesus to his already spiritual, already their spiritual beliefs. Jesus is not Skiva's one and only. Jesus is just one of, is one of many. And so, unfortunately, um, when Skiva invokes the name of Jesus, it does not go the way he hoped. It doesn't go the way that he saw it go with Paul. It goes actually the other way. And so when we see this happen, what's the result? You got this holy man and his people traveling around and they invoke the name of Jesus and they just get starched and, the, and people see it. They see the power of God. They see that there's no power in this and how do they respond? And we see in, in, right here in Ephesus Verse 17, when this became known, when what just happened became known to the Jews and the Greeks and the people living in Ephesus, they were seized with fear. This, this, this deep respect, this fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. So fear and respect and honor. And many of those who believed. So now we have people who had heard the word of Paul and chosen Jesus. New believers. Many of those people who believe in Jesus now came and openly confessed what they had done. They, moved by the Holy Spirit, they came forward and they, had a, they just confessed the, the sin in their life, the, the ways that they had gone off. And it goes on, it says this, a number who practiced sorcery brought their scrolls and burned them publicly. And so people left, when they heard about this, they went home, they gathered the things that they're dabbling in, they gathered all these other things and they brought them. And it says that they, the worth was about 50,000 50,000 drachma. One drachma is one day's wages. So 50,000 days wages when they added up all the stuff they brought. And in this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. So we have, we have this happening, is that we have this power showdown. It, it, it goes, um, it goes like very poorly for Skiva. The people see it, and they see true power, pure, true divinity in God and who he is, and what he can truly do. And because of that, a fear, a respect, an honor comes, and they say, I want to get right with that. And to honor Jesus, they confess and they go home and they bring the things that are against that. Now, um, they get a wake-up call, a spiritual reality check. They find out really quickly that the stuff they're dabbling in, it's powerless. And they also find out it's dangerous. It's dangerous because there is real spiritual forces in this world. And you're trying to fight them with just this pretend thing you're invoking, this magic power you're trying to invoke. See, the believers in this region... They saw what happened to Skiva, and they're suddenly confronted with the understanding that it's not my spirituality plus Jesus. They're confronted with the reality, it's not Jesus plus anything, it's Jesus, period. So they go get their pluses, and they bring them and confess them. They stop dabbling in all of it, and they say, I'm Jesus should stop being the one of many, and Jesus wants to be the one and only. And so they go and they gather these things and they bring them. It was never designed to be Jesus plus. It was designed to be Jesus period. And I, and I hear this all the time from people. They say, you know, this Christianity thing, it's just not working out the way I thought. It's not working out the way I, I hoped. And I'm not feeling it. And I bet the people of Ephesians before this would say the same thing. I bet they would say, I feel like I'm doing this Jesus thing, Paul. But it's not the way, it's not going the way I was hoping. It's not going the way you said it would go. And see, the Ephesians 
maybe until this moment, had divided hearts. They weren't all in on Jesus. They didn't sacrificially follow. They didn't get rid of their old ways. They didn't get rid of their old practices. They simply added on a new one. It was spirituality plus Jesus. I'm sure they would have said they loved Jesus, but he wasn't their only love. He was one of many. And many of us are correct when we say this, and and I've thought this, I've said it. Man, this, this just isn't working out the way I hoped. It's not working out the way I wanted. And I'll say this, because a relationship with God, relationship and following Jesus, where he is one of many, is not intended to work. It will not work for you. He does not want to be, nor, nor should he be, your one of many. He is the one and only. To illustrate this, I'm going to tell you guys a story that many of you might have heard in this room before previously. It's not one I like telling, but it is appropriate for today. You see, I have, I have um, I've experienced being one of many before. I asked my wife's permission to share this because it's kind of personal for us. But before I moved here to Colorado 10 years ago, moved back here, um, I lived in Georgia. And before I met Amy, I was married to another woman back in Georgia. As I was a pastor there, and I was married. And it became very clear during the first year of our marriage that she was not as um, interested in the vows we made to God as I was. And I, I found out that she had other lovers. First year of marriage. And I remember um, finding out, and do you ever have those moments in your past where you can, you can go back and you can tell what the room smelled like. You can remember exactly what time it was, exactly what it looked like. You can be, I'm, I, can, I can remember where I was when I asked her a question. I had to ask my then wife a question. I said, do you love him? I didn't want to ask that question. Do you ever, you ever been in a place in your life when you ask a question and you know on the other side of the answer, things will never be the same? You ask the doctor, how bad is it? You ever had those moments? I asked her, I said, do you love him? And she said, yes, I do. And I'm, I'm sitting there talking to my then bride about somebody else that she loves and it leveled me in a way I did not know I could be leveled. And it hurts physically, Ugh. And, and she saw that, and almost to, like, to help me, she said, but I love you also. I think she thought that was supposed to help me feel better. Oh, okay. Whew. <laughs> thought you didn't love me anymore, but you love me also. Boy, is that a relief. You see, marriage was not intended to be built on I love you also. A relationship of I built on I love you also is not a, it will not reach levels of intimacy and emotional intimacy um, that it needs to. You see, I didn't want to be one of many. I wanted to be one and only. And my then wife, her heart was divided and there was a part of her that was unavailable to me. And while she had some affection for me, I was, I was just one of many. And I can't describe the pain of living in that place. You see, I love you also is fine when it comes to your favorite food. I love sushi. I also love tacos. It's fine when it comes to your TV shows. But when it comes to building a a healthy marriage, a thriving relationship, a marriage is not built on, I love you also. That will kill it. 
A marriage grows in intimacy when you are fighting for that person, when you put your spouse above all other people. Orchard, it's the same. It's also true of our spiritual life. Your spiritual life will not thrive. It's not intended to thrive if you tell Jesus, I love you also. It's okay, Jesus, I love you also. Like, like we hope that he feels better that we love him also. Your spiritual life was not meant to thrive that way. It wasn't created that way. Our hearts were not created for I love you also. See, we were created in the image of the one true God. We were created by God. We were created for God to give him our entire and whole heart. And we see at Acts 19, once again, that God is not impressed by part-time, half-hearted commitment. Just like a spouse would not be impressed with part-time, half-hearted commitment to a marriage. God is not a, but I love you also. Our heart was not created for that. And did you know that God gets jealous? Did you know that? Isn't it strange to think that the divine God of the universe gets jealous? It's, it's also strange because in the book of Ephesians, we're told that jealousy is a sin. I want to tell you what the difference between our jealousy and God's jealousy is. We get jealous because people have something we like. We get jealous of someone's hair or their wardrobe or their vacation. You ever see somebody on Pinterest and you're like, I wish I was there? Yeah, we, our jealousy is for something we want and don't have. God's jealousy is for something that is his. You see, when I gave my life to Jesus, I said, I am yours. And at that moment, I said, my heart is yours and my worship is yours. And when I give my worship to something else, that's his. When I give my heart to other things in my life, that's his. So God's jealousy is aroused when something that is his is given. It's the same as if um, uh, my, let's say, my wife were to flirt, if they were to flirt with some random stranger. That's mine. Now, if some random stranger flirts with another random stranger and I get jealous about that, that's my issue. That's not okay jealousy. But there, isn't a, there is a jealousy that's appropriate. And God, it says, it says all these, it's amazing that God gets jealous. Um, and it's, it's based out of the true fire and purity of his love, that he loves us so deeply. Exodus 20, verse 5, you should not serve other gods. I'm the Lord your God, I'm a jealous God. Exodus 34, 14, don't worship any other God but me. My name is jealous. My name is jealous. You're mine. I paid great price for you. You're so precious, my son will give his life for you. Your heart's mine. Don't give that away. Psalm 78, 58 says this, the people angered God because they had high places. They aroused his jealousy with their high places. A high place was this hidden, secret place out of town where they would go and worship other gods. And he goes, I see them. I see the hidden places in your life. I see where you're worshiping other things. And we all think, well, I don't worship anything pagan. I just want to remind, this is so convicting to me, that, that there are things that are good in our lives, yet they have an inappropriate amount of love in our hearts it can be a good thing that has an inappropriate amount of love and we love it as much as God or more than God. The greatest thing, in this area, recreation, man, so many people worship at the altar of recreation. See, God gave us recreation to appropriately um, engage in and enjoy his, his, his um, creation. But there are things in our life that are healthy that can become unhealthy based on how much love they take from us. And we start to worship in these high places, these secret hidden places that are out of the way, hard to see. And listen, I want to ask us, what high places do you have? 
What is out of, out of the public eye? It could be anything from a secret sin that you refuse to get rid of. It could be anything. But what is it that has and captivates and holds your heart that you say, I love you also because it's so important. You see, if we have these hidden high places, the not so obvious things in our life that we love as much or more than God, what's the correct response? The Ephesians' response was this. They saw, the work, they saw through the work of Paul, they saw that Jesus had power. They saw through the work of Sceva that there was no power there. So they went home and guided by the conviction of the Spirit, they cleaned out anything, anything that got their worship instead of God. Now, for them it was spiritual books, for some of them it was spiritual books about gods and practices. It was the things that they held equal to to God Almighty. And they brought these objects of idolatry. Now, I don't know how prevalent uh, pagan books and spiritual practices and sorcery and all those kind of things are in this room, but I know in our culture they're very prevalent. I have friends who are self-admitted witches. I have friends who, uh, I have a friend right now who's reading the Bible to find immortality but doesn't believe in Jesus, but he believes there's something really big in here. I have another friend who's a self-proclaimed Buddhist but, but thinks Jesus is a really cool guy. And then I have another person who thinks that Jesus is a cool guy and his savior, but he's also really cool with Buddhism. And, and he believes in reincarnation and karma when in fact those are tenets of a religion and a spirituality that are nowhere in here and, have, and are opposite of the ways of God. And so we need to look at what they bring forward and say, what is, it, what is mine? Maybe for you it's not books of sorcery, but what is it you love as much or more than God? What is it you would worship at in those places in your life? Texts like this ask me to just re-examine my life. And, and this is kind of hard sometimes. This might not be the most f- warm, fuzzy feeling message, but it causes us to pause and examine our lives and ask the question, is Jesus my one and only? Is Jesus Christ my Savior, my one and only? Or is he one of many? Do I mix him with all these other spiritualisms and polytheisms and and, and karmas and energies and forces that are not biblical and not of God? And if so, it's a moment like this where I'm called by the Bible, as hard as it is, to recalibrate and stop and pause and just consider what I should do. The Bible says don't be a hearer of the world. The word and leave and don't do it. So what do we do with this word? You see, the Ephesians, they thought it was okay for them to have a patchwork of spiritual beliefs. They thought God was cool with it. And listen, you might feel that God's cool with you, loving him also, as well as all these other things. But I wanna just tell us, remind us once again, he's not. He is the one true divine God you were created by him you were created for him you're called to him he sent his son Jesus to give his life and resurrect for you you don't send your son to die if you're just one of many (laughs) his love is big it's bold it's consuming he's jealous out of his great love for you in the orchard vision you know our vision of love God and love people it comes from a prayer it's called the Shema that's the, the, Israel, the Hebrew word for it. And the prayer goes like this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. In the Old Testament, when that prayer is first said, there's a preface to it, a preface to it. And in Hebrew, it says this, 
Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, which means, hear, O Israel, listen up. Listen up, people. That's what it means. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. And therefore, we will love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength because he's one. There's one. So from this, we examine our life and we examine our heart. We pause and say, God, are you my one and only or like the Ephesians, are you just one of many? Do I have a patchwork of spiritual beliefs that are kind of fun for me to dabble in all these different things? And then on Sundays, I love you also, Jesus. Like, does our spiritual life love our readings and beliefs and meditations and then here in this room say, I love you also? Do we generously spend and give on ourselves and all these other things and then show up and give them a tip and say, I love you also? Do we pursue other loves all week with our energy and our time and our talents and then for one hour we come here and sing a song and say, but I love you also? He wants when he deserves our one and only, the one true God of the universe. You see, a revolutionary rabbi named named Jesus, completely revolutionary, he walked the earth and he called men and women to leave all their things and follow him into an adventure of loving God and loving people, to be a conduit, to be a person who God moves through and moves in. He calls us to leave the the small um, adventures of our life to embark on something divine, a divine calling that he asks us to be a part of. He asks us to come and love him with all that we are, all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength. He died for this. Jesus died for you so that you could have access to the Father. You know, our, our response to Jesus should be one of gratitude and love and affection. And like the Ephesians, when I begin to see how big and how beautiful God's plan is, I don't come to God begrudgingly with my stuff and go, here's my other stuff. I really like it, but you want, me to be, you want it to be you only? Fine. It should be motivated by gratitude and love that we come and say, Jesus, I am so sorry that I have other loves more than you. I want to love you above all things. I want to love you more than anything. I want to love you with all my heart, all my soul, mind, and strength. And and it's hard in a sermon like this because this is kind of a difficult text and a difficult thing. Oh, they want us to go home and get our our, our sorcery and our, our scrolls and bring them back and we'll burn them and all that. Listen, listen. Why should we follow Jesus like this? Why should we love him one and only? Why should we put down the things that we dabble in? The only answer I can think of, one of them is, is, you know, when God created man and woman in his image, when he created us, do you know he could have created us that we would choose him every time? Do you know he could have created us so we can never choose sin? He could have set the whole system up so that he had people all over the world that just loved him and packed full of the churches and, and they tithed and they gave and they worshiped and oh, it was just great and they did not and they could not choose otherwise. He could have done that, but he knew something because God is love. He knew that you cannot force love and if you force someone to love you, that's not love. So he put in man and woman in humanity, the ability to choose against him. 
the audacity of God's plan. His, his belief in love so high that he allows us to choose sin. He lets us choose other lovers. He lets us choose other things. He lets us make the choice. Because why? Because he wants us to choose him. He loves us so much, he gave his son. He wants us to love him so much, we give our life. He wants us to choose him. That's why he made us the way we are. He could have done it differently. You know, in the, in the World War II, in the, in the POW camps, they could force those prisoners, a guard could force a prisoner to do almost anything, kill their own family. There's atrocities that they forced them to do were unspeakable. But a guard could never force the prisoner to do one thing. They could never force them to love them. You cannot make someone love you. And so God created us and calls us to love him, but he's not gonna make you. And so on days like today, when we are once again reminded that he has called us to come and say, here is my heart, that we look down and make sure that it's not just a fourth of it. I love you also. Look, Yes, three-fourths of it is spread around other places in my life, but I love you a lot with this one-fourth. The love would be, I come with my entire soul and being, casting down all other lovers, casting down all the things that I would worship and say, one true God of the universe who gave your son for me, I am yours and you are mine. You are my one and only. So Orchard, this is motivated by love. And as you are here today, and as you come in at the end and we take communion, remember we have an open communion, no class to take. Jesus said, come do this in remembrance of me. And if you're here today and you wanna remember Jesus and his sacrifice, feel free, come get the symbol of the body and the blood of Jesus. And as you hold it, go back to your seat and sit there. And first of all, just thank him. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for giving your blood and your body that I can have spiritual freedom. Thank you for providing a way to the Father. You did this because of love. This is the evidence of love. And I want to love you in return. Forgive me for when I love others more than you. Forgive me for having a divided heart. And ask him, what is it you need to cast down or bring forward or get rid of? For some of you, maybe you need to actually tangibly go home and get rid of some things. I don't know, I'm gonna leave that up to him. But let's do some business with God. Listen, remember, the, the kingdom of God moves forward one bold decision at a time. And today, some of you are, have an opportunity to make a bold decision. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are the one and only Savior of this world. There is no other. I pray that you would um, reveal to us. Father, there are people in here who are far from you, and they don't know about this whole Jesus thing yet. I pray you would begin to, re, just to, to, to reveal the fact that this is built through and through with your love. It's a calling of love. And so, Father, we pray that you would do amazing things. For the rest of us, Father, like myself, I ask your forgiveness for, uh, for, for loving things of this world as much or more than you. And we ask you forgive us as a people. I pray you speak clearly to us right now. In Jesus' name, and everyone said?